0: Good evening everybody
1: and welcome to Grace Community Church Wednesday night service. Uh, Thank you all for being here if you're here in person and thank you for tuning in if you're watching online. Uh, If this is your first time watching or your first time here, my name is Wade and uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're watching. Let me go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer and uh, we'll get into tonight's message. Father, I just thank you for the the message you laid on my heart this week. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to be able to present it in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that you'll help me not to be sharing my own opinions or my feelings, Lord, but just your truth. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, open every heart and mind to receive your truth. And Lord, help us not only to receive it, but to actually apply it to our lives, Lord, so we can bear the fruit that you would desire us to bear. And Father, I pray that you would be with all the ones that couldn't make it tonight because they're sick or for some other reason, I just pray that you'd be with them where they are and help them to realize that you're there with them, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you have been here for about the last month, maybe five weeks, we've been talking about the love of God. And uh, mostly we have been talking about things that prevent us from being able to share the love of God with others and uh, you know what those things are. And not only share the love of God with others, but you know, keep us from experiencing the love of God for ourselves. You know, in the last week's sermon, there were a couple of verses that really stuck out to me. And uh, that kind of brought about the message this week. But these two verses have been on my mind all week and I'll share those with you in James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Uh, in the King James, it says, Therewith bless we God. He's talking about our mouth. With our mouth, we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. And my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Uh, if we read the same, same verses in the NLT it says sometimes talking about our mouth again sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God and so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth and surely my brothers and sisters this is not right and uh, that just really you know when I think about that where it says in the King James these things ought not so to be that really sticks in my head you know because those things really shouldn't be you know the reason it bothers me so much is because of how much of that you actually see today you know you'll see people come to church and they they lift their hands in praise and we sing to God and say how much we love God but then you know the very same mouth that we use to praise God will go out in the parking lot and uh, you know gossip or get into a, a conversation with somebody else putting other people down and uh, you know look that really shouldn't be and uh, i believe that's why those verses stuck in my head so hard this week because how much of that you actually see and uh, that's why the church of christ the body of christ you know i'm not just talking about grace i'm talking about the church as a whole that's why it's so divided you know i looked it up and there are over 130 <coughs> Churches just in Jefferson County alone. That's a, that's a lot of churches. Jefferson County's not that big. And, uh, you know, somebody just moving here might mean, you know, they might think, oh, this must be a really godly community, you know, to have that many churches. But that's not the reason for them. That's not because somebody just thought, you know, this will be a good spot for a church. Most of those churches came about because, you know, whatever group of people was in a church, had a disagreement on something, and either one or both sides weren't willing to work it out, to come to some kind of an agreement. You know, either they're not willing to forgive, or whatever the reason is, so the church winds up dividing, and, uh, you know, both sides claiming to be right. So, you know, they split off and start another church, so now you have two churches. And, uh, at this point in the county's history, we're up to, I think the last count was like 135 churches. And, uh, I don't know, that's heartbreaking to me. You know, instead of working together for the kingdom of God, you see what we just read in those two verses there. You know, people blessing and praising God while at the same time putting down and cursing our brothers and sisters in Christ with the same mouth. And, uh. You know, it's no wonder the church as a whole can't convince the lost people of the world in our loving God. You know, people come to church looking for hope in God. And uh, when they're looking at God's people and they're not even loving one another, they can't even find that in church. And that's a sad thing. And that's what James is talking about there in those two verses. You know, how can people come in here and believe in a loving God if we're not willing to demonstrate His love? You know, towards each other, much less towards them. So that's what I want to focus on tonight is a division in the church and things that cause that. You know, we can't have two churches that say they believe in the same God, but they can't go to church together because they can't get along. You know, I love these verses in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. There's only one Lord. You know, there's only one faith and one baptism. We can't divide Christ, you know. He's not over here in a different one for this church. It's the same Lord for everybody. That's what that verse said. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And there's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So if we all have the same God, we should be able to get along with one another. You know, Jesus himself said in mark chapter 3 and verses 24 and 25 if a kingdom be divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand and if a house be divided against itself that house cannot stand you know if you've never read mark 3 that whole chapter is a uh, for jesus he's calling his 12 apostles and then the scribes or the religious leaders from Jerusalem came, and they told him that he was casting out devils by the power of Satan. So he told them this parable about how can Satan cast out Satan. You can read that in verse 23. But, uh, you know, he goes on in chapter 3 to give them that parable about a house divided cannot stand. But he goes on to, to tell them, and I don't think this is in those notes, Travis, but in verses 27 and 29, He goes on to tell them that forgiveness is what is dividing the house. He says, no man can enter into a strong man's house except he spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. In verse 28, it says, verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. And what he's saying there is that's how you disarm Satan by forgiving one another. You know, when we refuse to forgive one another, that gives Satan the advantage. And we'll get on into that a little further in the message. But that's just one of his devices. That's what causes us to divide. You know, we'll have some kind of a disagreement or maybe somebody does something to you to make you mad or angry or whatever the case may be. But when I choose not to forgive them, you know, that's what our whole... Faith is based upon, is forgiveness. And what I'm actually doing is denying my faith, you know. I'll receive God's forgiveness for me, but I'm not ready to give it to somebody else. Uh, If we'll go on in verse 29, (coughs) Mark chapter 3, it says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost has never, you know, he never is forgiven for that, but is in danger of eternal damnation. And uh, we've read a lot in the last few weeks where the Bible says if we don't forgive others, then we're not forgiving ourselves. And that's Satan's scheme. If that's all he has to do is get us to the point where we're not willing to do what God commands us to do, and that's forgive one another. And when we do that, we're denying our own faith. So it's, it's never okay with God when we don't forgive somebody. That's what causes the division. And uh, we'll get on into that a little deeper in the message. But talking about division, Paul plainly says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 10, he says, I beseech you, and that actually means to beg. So he's saying, now I beg you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You know, we read a few weeks ago in Philippians, where it says, you know, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's what he's asking us to do. Be of the same mind. Have the same faith. We all have one Lord. Whatever we're disagreeing on, it's not important enough to turn our back on our faith. We should let God be the judge. He actually even says in verse 13, First Corinthians chapter 1, you know, is Christ divided? You know, was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What he's saying is, we can't divide Christ. You can't go over here and say, I'm right. And you go over here and say, I'm right. And say we have the same Lord. You know, he calls both parties to forgive each other. So we can't divide Christ. It's really clear about which will be no divisions among us. And, uh, you know, what was the the last part of that verse we read a minute ago in chapter 1, verse 10? is that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And uh, he's talking about the body of Christ there. He's talking about our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters (coughs) in Christ. You know, we can't effectively be a witness for God if we can't even get along with ourselves. And like I said a minute ago, I'm not picking on grace here. I think we have a wonderful church family here. It's one of the most welcoming places that I've ever been in my life. And uh, I count myself lucky to be a part of this church. Uh, it's amazing when we have a, a person struggling or suffering here from something. You know, it don't matter what it is, whether it's sickness or a money issue or something wrong with your house or whatever. You know, there's people that come from all sides to help and to comfort and to meet the need, whatever, whatever the need that is. You know, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help one another as the body of Christ. We're supposed to be there for one another when we're going through a hard time. You know, there's strength in the body of Christ when we love each other the way that we're supposed to. Uh, a good example of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 26. It says, whether one member suffers, and he's talking about the body of Christ. Uh, if you want to study on the body of Christ. That's the chapter for that, is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. But in verse 26, it says whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And that's the way church should be. You know, if we know for a fact that we have a member that's suffering, we shouldn't be over here acting like they don't exist and we don't care, we should all flock to them and see what we can do to help them. And if something's going great for somebody, then we should do the same same in that direction too. You know, we should rejoice with them, be glad that things are working out for them, even if they're not working out for us at that time. But what breaks my heart the most is when I see (coughs) relationships, you know, friendships that took years to build you know, to build love and trust. And uh, when I see those kind of relationships just thrown away like they had no value at all, just because somebody made a mistake or somebody got mad, you know, whatever the reason is for it, and we wind up with a disagreement and we're not willing to work it out. You know, some of those uh, relationships are from childhood. You know, people have known each other since they were kids and got along fine until, and this is further proof that that's a trick of the enemy, until they start going to church. And then once they start going to church, then they can't get along. You know, that'll tell us something right there. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that old expression, life's too short to hold a grudge. Uh, I disagree with that. Life's too long. Because once we become Christians, once we surrender our life to Christ, then the Bible says we are eternal beings. Those friendships should be eternal friendships. There should be no end to them because in God's design, those relationships are meant to last forever and uh, if there's children involved and uh, say well I've got a, a disagreement with you and we both have children, then they're never going to have a lot of relationships that they should have. you know some of the best memories I have <coughs> excuse me are from You know, when I was a kid, playing with my cousins or playing, you know, with people in my family. And if my family wasn't getting along and we weren't allowed around each other, then you're going to miss out on all those relationships. You know, they're going to miss out on their aunts and their uncles, you know, whatever the relationship might be. But it don't just affect us when we choose to end a relationship. We choose to end a relationship for everybody that goes along with us. You know, and that includes our children. I can't imagine not having the memories that I have of playing with my cousins when I was a kid. Some Those are some of the best memories that I have. And, uh, you know, if we weren't allowed to be around each other, then I wouldn't have those. And if your kids aren't around, around their aunts and uncles or, or their cousins, then they're going to miss out on relationships that they should have had. So that, that's another thing to think about, you know, if we're being... For whatever reason, you know, won't forgive or, or restore a relationship. And almost always, uh, it boils down to unforgiveness. I know we've been hitting on that for the last three weeks. And uh, I think that's just what God wants us to talk about. We have to get rid of that if we're going to share the love of God and be the witness that we're supposed to supposed to be. You know, there's no love in that at all. And there's no way to justify it with God's Word. God's Word is very clear on that. I want to share with you a couple of verses out of Galatians 6. And uh, we hear these quoted a lot, but you hardly ever see them in action. You know, I know I've know i been to a lot of churches, and most of the time in church, if somebody makes a mistake, then people aren't willing to forgive. They're, they want to condemn people for what they've done cast them out or call them unclean or put them in that category we've been talking about for the last few weeks of you're no longer worthy of to be called my brother or forgiveness or any of that stuff and we can't do that because you know God's word says in Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 it says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault you know if you mess up you make a mistake it says those of you which are spiritual And we should all be spiritual if we're going to church. We shouldn't just be going to be going. We should be going because we have the Spirit of God in us. It says, those of you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted and bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ." And uh, like I said, we hear those quoted a lot, but we see very little of those being acted out in people's lives. And we that's what we should be seeing every day in the church. <clears throat> we are to restore, not judge or condemn. And we are to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. So then we go on with the question, you know, what is the law of Christ? Somebody asked him that in the... Uh, Matthew chapter 22, he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know, there's nothing in there about judging or condemning, only loving and forgiving and restoring. And it amazes me that, like I said a minute ago, our entire faith is based on forgiveness through what Christ did for us on the cross. But yet some of us think it's okay to hold grudges and refuse to forgive other people. And that is just completely against God's plan of redemption. You know, when we do that, we are being deceived ourselves. Because it really is the strategy of the enemy. If he can get us to be unforgiven, he knows we won't be forgiven either. And he gets us to deceive ourselves. If we go back to Galatians again, and uh, go on into verse 3, in chapter 6, it says, "For If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. You know, when we're not willing to forgive, we're deceiving ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. You know, Galatians 6, if you've never read it, that whole chapter is talking about the biblical principle of reaping and sowing. Uh, You know, you reap what you sow, whether it's good or bad. You know, Paul is warning the church in uh, verses 1 and 2 that if you do these things, you're doing them to yourself. You know, if you restore somebody in the spirit of meekness, then down the road, when you make a mistake yourself, And we all make mistakes, whether we want to or not. But if we do restore somebody in the spirit of meekness like his word says to then when we make a a mistake, you'll reap what you sowed. Somebody else is going to help restore you in the spirit of meekness like you did. But if you you do judge them and condemn them, when it's your turn uh, and you make a mistake, that's what you'll receive. When the time comes, and you need forgiveness because that's, what you, that's the choice you make. It's not the other person's choice. We bring those things on ourselves. You know, if we choose to restore and help somebody through a hard time, then when our time comes, they'll do the same for us. But if we choose to judge and condemn, when we make a mistake and we're the ones that have fallen, then that's what we're going to receive. The Bible's very, very clear on that. We reap what we sow. And I don't know why we don't put those verses together. They were all written together for a reason. Uh, If we read on, you know, verse 7 is the one that says, we will reap what we sow. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So Paul's giving them a warning, but he's also asking them a question, you know, that we ask ourselves in our own heart. What are you sowing? You know, when you see somebody stumble or make a mistake or fall, you know, what is your first reaction? Are you thinking, I'm going to help restore that person because they made a mistake? I'm going to be there for them when they need me. I'm going to help them carry that burden. So Paul's asking asking us to ask ourselves, you know, what are you sowing? Uh, Because that's what you're going to reap. And just like we just read in the law of Christ, am I loving my neighbor as myself? You know am I treating them the way I hope I would be treated if I was in their situation? you know if you do, that's what you will receive. and if you don't, that's what you will receive. but we can't let the enemy deceive us into thinking unforgiveness is okay because it's it's never okay. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we have that right. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago, I did a study about a year ago on unforgiveness, and I was going to look it up in my strongest Concordance and see how many times, you know, the word unforgiveness or, or any form of that word was in there. It's not in there one time. Not once in the Bible does it say unforgiveness. And uh, I told you, I think that was by the uh, divine design too, because if there was a verse on unforgiveness, somebody would, uh, you know, pervert it and distort it and twist it until they made it look like unforgiveness was okay, I think on purpose God didn't put it in there because it's never okay. <coughs> we read these uh, verses here a few weeks ago in second Corinthians chapter two verses ten through eleven, and this is talking about forgiveness too, but it's also talking about how Satan uses that against us uh and a little backstory on these verses, if you're not familiar with them. In 1 Corinthians, they caught this guy in adultery in the church. And uh, Paul told them, you know, if the guy's living in sin, you need to get him out of there. You know, you can't allow that stuff to go on in the church. You need to call him out on that. And this is, fast forward, they did do that. They kicked the guy out of church. And... Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote the same church and told them, okay, you've punished that guy, you've, he stopped his sin, and now you need to welcome him back into fellowship before he's overcome with too much grief. And then that's where these two verses come in. He's talking about after they've forgiven the guy. He said, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sake, forgave I it in the person of Christ lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, that's just a strategy of the enemy to get you to destroy yourself and your relationships and keep you from accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God. He's blinded so many people into having that judgmental, critical mindset and making them think they're being godly because of it. Uh, and it's all Deception. You know, we talked about that last week. Deception is the number one tool of Satan. You know, that's how sin got started in the first place. With Satan in the garden, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Satan deceived Eve. And that's where sin began. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And, uh, you know, it was still a problem in Paul's day. That's why he's writing these things to the church. And it's still a major problem today. He's still using that same. Same old trick in the church that he used to start with. And he uses that because it works. All he has to do is deceive us once. And from then on, the Bible says, we deceive ourselves. We think it makes us godly to judge and criticize other people when they do wrong. And uh, it don't make us godly. And to ever judge or criticize anybody. And that's about as ungodly as we can be. You know, Galatians said in six one, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So if we find ourselves unable to forgive and restore, that is a good indicator that we're not being spiritual. You know, that should be a, a wake-up call to us. If I find myself in that mindset of I'm not forgiving them, you know, that should help me check myself that I'm not walking in the spirit. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16, it says if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. So if you find yourself with that kind of mindset, that's when we need to get before God and confess it. You know, it's not okay to have that mindset. It don't make you ungodly to have those thoughts. We all have bad thoughts. Uh, lots of them all day long. But it's, it's not okay to dwell on them and to let them lead you in that direction. So when we start having those thoughts that don't line up with God's Word, we need to take them to God and confess them. You know, let him know, hey, I'm having these thoughts, and I know they're not from you. And uh, ask him to help us with it, because that kind of mindset does not come from God. And it'll keep us from doing what God called us to do. Uh, In the book of James, he describes, you know, that kind of a mindset. In chapter three, uh, verse the same verse or the same chapter where we read our verses, we started out with verses thirteen through eighteen. It says, "If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying." for jealousy and selfishness and that includes unforgiveness are not god's kind of wisdom such things are earthly and unspiritual and demonic for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and evil of every kind but with the wisdom but the wisdom from above is first of all pure and it is also peace loving gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So that is James describing pretty good, I thought, you know, the the mindset that you have of to help somebody and restore somebody which is the wisdom from above that God gives us, and it describes the mindset of I'm, I'm not going to forgive him. And it tells you where that comes from. So if you find yourself with that kind of mindset, you can realize it did not come from God. That's exactly what his word says. It's a trick from the enemy. He just wants, <coughs> he wants to make you prideful and self-righteous because he knows if he can do that, He'll stop you in your tracks when it comes to being a a witness for Christ. Uh, Proverbs 13 and verse 10, I like this verse. It says, the only reason we have conflict is because of pride, whether it's on one side or the other side or both sides. You know, pride is what leads to conflict. But those who take advice are wise. So take my advice. If you do have that kind of mindset, Confess it to God and ask Him for help. Like I said, there's there's nothing wrong with having those thoughts or those feelings. They come natural to us, but it's not okay to keep them. You know, we we should realize that those didn't come from God. So when we have them, take it to God and be honest with Him. Tell Him how you feel and ask Him to help you with it, and He will. Uh, James 1 and verse 5 says, if We ask God, if we need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. Uh, and 1 John 1 9 says, if we'll just bring these things to God and confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God won't just forgive you for that, he'll cleanse you of it. Uh, I want to do some more reading in James chapter 4. This, James is describing here what we need to do if we've fallen into that trap. And uh, it's quite a bit of reading, but it covers it pretty well, so I want to I read these with you, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. In James chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And that's what happens when we stop letting the Holy Spirit guide us, like we just read in Galatians. If we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of our flesh. So, if we start seeing that come out of us, that's what—that's where we are. You want to do—you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them that you don't have because you—you you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So if we do have an argument and we're asking God to help us with it, you know, we we even have to look at our prayers. Am I just asking to get my way or am I asking God for what's right in this situation? You know, when we're in any kind of confrontation with somebody or an argument with somebody, the very first thing we should pray is, Am I right on this? Lord, or do I need to admit that I'm wrong? We should always be first to admit we're wrong if we are wrong and uh, be willing to make peace and not just what gives us pleasure. If we go on or proves us right. Number four, he says, you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. I like that verse. We should be faithful to God. Even if things, you know, go against what I want, it shouldn't be about what I want. It should be about what God wants. And if we're being led by the spirit, that verse says the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So if that means admitting that I'm wrong in something, I should be faithful to God. Whether it embarrasses me, whether I have to say I'm wrong in something, that shouldn't matter. What should matter is doing what God asked me to do. In verse 6, it says, And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves before God and admit when we're wrong, then God He gives us the grace that we need to get through that situation instead of us having to fight tooth and nail just to try and prove we're right about something and keep the you know, keep the argument going. In verse seven, it says, So humble yourselves before God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. I see people all the time resisting the devil and they just keep doing it over and over and over. And that's because they don't do what the very first part of the verse says. It says to humble ourselves before God. And we just read when we do that, God gives us grace that we need. Then we can resist the devil. And then he will flee from us because we've got God in it with us. The devil don't flee from anybody if you're standing there alone. You have to be in the spirit, humble before God with him with you. And uh, when the devil sees God with you on your side... Then we resist him, and then he will flee from us in verse eight it says, "Come close to God, and God will come close to you. wash your hands, you sinners that's saying, if you're wrong, admit it you know confess it to God, wash your hands, purify your heart, for your loyalty is divided be- between God and the world and the, what that verse means is, like we just talked about, you know if I'm in an argument or a whatever with somebody, am I just wanting my way or am I wanting God's way? Because that's what he's talking about the world. I can either choose what's right in my own eyes or I can let God's word be the truth. So we can't have divided loyalty. It says earlier in James, if we have divided loyalty, then we're unstable in all of our ways. But if we go on in verse 9, it says, let there be tears for what you have done. And I wrote down in my notes here on verse 9, when we're reading that, we really need to think about our relationships. You know, what's being lost? Let there be tears for what you've done. Our relationship should mean something. And the, the fact that one might be over or is over, you know, there should be tears for that. Because we wouldn't have had the relationship in the first place if it didn't mean something to us and let there be sorrow and deep grief you know let us mourn our our loss of our relationships let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy and what that'll do is bring us to what is called godly repentance and we'll come before god and say i missed this relationship i hate it turned out like that you know what can i do to make it right what can i do to restore that relationship and i know there's some relationships You know, there's battered wives. There's all kinds of different scenarios that play out where a relationship is never going to happen again. What he's saying is, if there is a way to restore it, and it's on you, do the best you can, do your part to help restore that relationship. That's what we're called to do. Uh, I want to close with these next two verses, and they're they're right after these. But if we keep reading in James 4, we'll read read on through verse 12. It says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. We're disagreeing with God. But your job is to obey the law. Our job is to obey God and do what he says, not to judge whether or not it applies to me. You know, there's no situation... Or I can say, well, I would forgive them, but we can't justify not forgiving people. And that's what that verse is saying. Whether it applies to us or not, it, it does apply to us. It applies to everybody. God's Word is not, there's not a different version of this for different people. It's one version for all people. And it says, God, God alone who gave the law is the judge. If God's the one says what's right and what's wrong and he alone has the power to save or destroy so what right do we have to judge our neighbor we don't have a right to judge our neighbor we are commanded to love our neighbor we just read that uh, for homework this week I would encourage you to go to think about the relationships that May have ended, or maybe the relationship that you're struggling in now. And uh, read James chapter four again. And while you're while you're reading it, think about those relationships and uh, where you stand in them. Is there anything I could do <coughs> to restore this relationship, or am I just being stubborn and being selfish, like it says? Uh, that's a hard thing to do. I had to do that in the last couple of weeks, and I actually you know, got a hold of my friend because our relationship was really struggling. And uh, we got together and we talked it out and uh, that relationship was restored. It's just as good as it ever was. But that wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have did it God's way, you know. if If we have a bad relationship, the worst thing you can do is avoid seeing each other, avoid talking it out, Avoid even bringing up the subject. You'll never get it worked out if you do that. You know, God calls us in Matthew 18 if we have something against our brother go to him and uh, get it made right. That's what we're called to do. And uh, read James chapter 4 again and think about your relationships while you're doing it this week. And I believe God will speak to your heart while you do that and he'll show you how to make it right. And uh and give you the courage to do it. And again, I'm not saying it's okay when somebody does you wrong, but we have to trust God that if we'll do things His way, He will make it right. And we have to be obedient to Him and forgive, and not let Satan get an advantage of us, and deceive ourselves, and stop us from being who, who God has called us to be in Christ. And uh, that's to love one another, and to show the love of God to others, so that they can believe in Him, and And be saved themselves but like i said all these things take the power of the holy spirit in us you know without that we don't have the power to restore anything so i always like to give you an opportunity if you've never surrendered your life to christ i would encourage you to do that and we try to do this to end every message and show you how you do that in romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 it says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And what that simply means is, if you know you need God in your life and you don't have him, all you got to do is ask him to come into your life. Believe he is who he says he is and believe Jesus Really did die on the cross for your sins. And God raised him from the dead. And just cry out to God. You know, you don't have to be at a church to get saved. You can be sitting on your couch watching this on TV. It can be as simple as, God, I need you. Would you come into my life and save me? And uh, if you made that choice tonight, it says right here in verse 10, confess that with your mouth. You know, tell somebody, I have gave my life to Christ today. And you shall be saved. God's word is true, you know. Nobody's saved until they get saved. But it's really simple to do that. And I always like to share verse 13 with you of Romans 10. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's nothing you've done. I've heard a lot of people say I've been too bad or, you know, went too far. God will never forgive me. That says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It don't matter what your past is. It don't matter what you've done. It don't even matter what your current situation is. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, ask him to save you, and he will. And uh, I always like to say this at the end of a message, too. You know, I heard most of my life, you need to get it together and get get to church. And uh, You can't do that. That's why a lot of people don't go to church. That's why a lot of people never cry out to God. Because they think they've got to get everything in order, get everything right before they come to God. And that's backwards. We can't get it right without God. And Romans 5, 8, it says, But God commends his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He don't ask us to get cleaned up before we come. He don't ask us to make things right before we come. He tells us to come as we are. It says He came and died for us because we're sinners. He knows we need Him. So He's not judging you. He's asking you to come to Him and let Him heal you. Let Him help you. Let Him save you. Uh, I hope this message really helped somebody. It it really helped me. And uh, it made a difference in my life this week. So uh, these aren't things that I'm saying may work. These are things that do work. If we'll do them, it's just finding the courage to do these things. You know, a lot of people hate confrontation. I hate confrontation. But that's the only way we find healing is to bring things out of the darkness and into the light. And God will help us to to do the things that we can't do on our own, things that we don't think are possible. But I hope that really helps somebody. And uh, that's all i got for this week. Thank you all for coming out. And thank you for tuning in. If you're watching online, let me say a a prayer for us and we will be dismissed. Father, thank you again for this message that you put on my heart this week. I'm thankful, Lord, for uh, what it's done in my life so far this week. And uh, I know it'll do that in the lives of others if they will actually trust you enough and find the courage to do these things, to have those hard talks that we have to have sometimes. And I pray that you'd give them the courage to do that this week, Lord, and restore some relationships that need restored. And we'll give you the honor, the praise, and the glory for it, Father. Lord, peace be with us as we go home. Please keep us safe and help us to make it there safely. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to just take your love out and share it with others this week. In Jesus' holy name I do pray. Amen.